Good evening and welcome to this Friday's edition of Stockwatch. I'm Zinati Kuma. And joining me to wrap this week up are Gary Boyson from Rand Swiss and Roy Motoni from APSA Asset Management. Thank you to the both of you for joining us. I want to start with you, Gary. I mean, there have been big swings in the markets this week. Uh, it seems that the volatility beast continues to feed. What's been your take from those market moves that we saw this week? Oh, it's, uh, I think it's, it's largely to, to be expected. I, I don't know. Uh, you know. Obviously, we just got a continuation you know, earlier in the week. We got a continuation of the, the negativity around, uh, I suppose, the, the tightening in the U.S., the, the dire inflation story, the European energy crisis, uh, the Chinese potential collapse of their property and banking market. I mean, there's a lot of negativity out there. And uh, I think people are very, very worried about how this pans out now. Um, that, that's how we came into the week. And then, uh, you know, optimism has sort of crept in. Certainly on the local market, there's been some, you know, I suppose, you know, stock-specific stock wins. Uh, there's also been some big stock-specific uh, losses, which I'm sure we'll talk about later in the, in the show. But, uh, but overall, it seems that sentiment has started to turn. And I don't know if it was Jerome Powell speaking, uh, you know, kind of almost reversing a little bit on his comments from Jackson Hole, kind of affirming the fact that we're probably going to get a 75 basis point increase. It's almost certain now um, from, from the Fed at the next meeting. But, uh, but the market reading it is maybe a little bit, uh, you know, maybe not, not quite as pessimistic as they were. And, mm. you know, seeing a big, big rally in the S&P 500, uh, you know, over the last two days. So markets, you know, seeming to, to be moving back into upward mode. But uh, whether, it's, whether, it's, you know, whether it's too soon to say that the bottoms are in, I think probably that's right. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how it pans out. But, but yeah, def definitely a mood of optimism sort of creeping back into the market as we close the week. Yeah. Roy, have you picked up anything significant that is luring? investors back into the market as we are seeing green screens um, recently? To, to be honest, I think it's still the buy-the-dip mentality, which to me, there's very little to justify. I mean, yeah. we're, we're, we're in a tightening liquidity environment. The ECB is tightening into a recession. Um, maybe energy prices coming off a little give people a little bit of optimism, but in reality, it's still early days. The ECB has gone up by 75 basis points. Um, we're going to see the Fed go up by about the same and another 50 basis points. And remember, I think this is the first or second week of QT, them actually withdrawing liquidity. And China is still actually struggling, whether it is from lockdowns or a slowdown in their consumer economy. Um, yeah, it's, th there's still a lot of bad news in the air. Mm. The market is being starved of liquidity. At a time like this, you should actually see the sell-offs continue. And remember as well, the dollar is at a 30-year 30 30 high. Yeah. Um, and that generally means that, yes, liquidity has been taken out. Most other economies are going to do poorly. And even for American companies, the strong dollar doesn't doesn't support earnings um you have a mm. you have a problem there with with earnings growth so to me i i struggle to see it i think it's just people seeing valuations they haven't seen in a long time and figuring maybe it's time to get back in but they'll get They'll get sucked in, I imagine. Yeah, so clearly we shouldn't be duped by the green screens thinking that the tough times are over for the markets. Um, let me get straight into the questions. Um, so we have one on PSG. We saw that unbundling taking effect on Wednesday. Saw that PSG share price plunging 75% and with the um, other counters, or well, the counters that it has unbundled, Stadio, Kuro, Cup Agri. Um, so there's a question here. Could you explain the PSG unbundling and should one sell the remaining shares trading at 22 Rand 50 or wait for the guided 23 Rand per share? Uh, Gary? 
Well, I don't think at this stage, uh, you know, the deal is so far progressed. I don't think at this stage there's much risk. That's, you know, I don't think there's much of a risk premium in that 50 cent difference. Uh, it's, it's very much just going to be the time value of money. But uh, you know, essentially what's happened is PSG has unbundled, you know, all their listed equity stakes. But there is, you know, that 23 rand represents their, their unlisted assets. So PSG Alpha, Evergreen, which is retirement homes, et cetera. Um, and you're essentially getting paid 23 rand on that. And, you know, everyone's had a look at this. There's a few people that think they, they might have deserved a little bit more, uh, but it does look like it's going to go through a 23 rand and, and the market is pricing it accordingly. Mm. Um, Roy, do you think that uh, investors should have uh, gotten a bit more on that cash portion? Well, look, it's, it's, it's all really debatable within the structuring and everything. I think the upside on this on this whole unbundling is the fact that companies like Curo, Stadio and CSL, I guess Cap, Cap Agri as well, mm. get to increase their free float and their, um, and, and their liquidity. And that generally over the medium to longer term is fantastic for the investors who get who who got who got the shares and i think that's how they'll be able to bridge the gap between what they think they should have got and what they actually got mm. all right uh let's go into footwear uh, sportswear uh adidas um there's a question here i have a question around uh, adidas uh, listed in europe it has dropped from almost 300 euro down to 140 euro do you think this is the bottom or there's more pain to come? Do any of you guys look at this closely? Uh, Gary um, or Roy? Okay, Roy, Roy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think for, I, I don't look at it closely, so yeah. I can't give you specifics. But I think the important thing to understand about European manufacturers right now, whether it's footwear or anything, is that as a result of all of these things you're seeing around energy, and the fact that the euro is that much weaker, it just means that manufacturers are going to struggle. And I guess that's one of the things. I mean, there's a lot of stuff on social media about Kanye and, and, and yeah. everything that, that, that we think influences Adidas. But the reality is the margins will come under, will come under pressure for mm -hmm. sure. Um, the European market is struggling for sure and they're going into recession. That's, that's what we're seeing. So, so I would say to call the bottom on a stock that's in a world such as that, I think, is, is, is a dangerous thing right now. And I think, I think the investors should be very wary of um, seeing a, t a turnaround in, on, in the immediate future. Yeah, um, for their Q2 results, they did report a fall in operating profit. Of course, they cited some of the things that you said. I think their um, margins almost halved. And... Mm -hmm. They also cited the suspension of the Russian business and also challenges from mm -hmm. the China lockdowns. And obviously, yeah, margins with input costs from the supply chain issues. Uh, Gary, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Do you think that maybe all that risk has already been priced in considering that the stock comes from 300 euro and is now at 140? Or do you think it could still see more pain? It's certainly it's certainly a lot cheaper than it was. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't think the markets are calling that. It's a, it's a, it's an uncertain place. So just just to give uh, viewers an, an understanding of of the, the kind of segmentation segmental breakdown of of Adidas's revenue based on 2021 numbers. Yeah. Um, 37 percent of its, its revenue comes from Europe. So all the the, the issues that you're talking about, the European energy crisis, mm -hmm. consumers that are going to now not going to be able to go out and buy Adidas, uh, you know, active wear yeah. because they're going to be spending money on their energy bills. I mean that affects 37 
27% of their revenue. Sure. Uh, Greater China, which, as you, as you mentioned, uh, maybe you buy more activewear when you're locked in your house because you don't have to buy formal business suits. But uh, China accounts for around 21% of revenue. So about a fifth of, of Adidas's revenue is coming from Greater China as well. And North America is then about uh, 24%. And, you know, to Roy's point, I think these, these kind of big um, consumer discretionary stocks uh, have just been under pressure because there's been a shift you know, in the institutional market away from uh, the, the kind of high-priced consumer discretionary into consumer staples, looking for those value stocks that can make it through much, much more difficult times. Mm-hmm. And we've seen, you know, if I look, I'm looking at the terminal now, I've seen there's a raft of downgrades coming through on Adidas, um, just, just moving from buys to holds, uh, where it was a very, very well-covered stock. And that, that you're obviously seeing a, a, a multiple unwind there as well. So price coming down, even though, yes, the earnings may be under a little bit of pressure, but the price under more pressure than earnings. And you're seeing the P, uh, so you're seeing the historic PDE down at 22, which is pretty cheap for Adidas. Yeah. Um, and, and now you've got a, a mixed, mixed coverage from the institutional sectors. So 15 holds, uh, 17 buys and four sells. But uh, priced on their median price targets uh, at the current share price, there's still a 37% implied upside. So mm. um, if you are going bargain hunting in the consumer discretionary space and you think maybe the world isn't as bad as everyone is saying it yeah. is, um, you know, buying Adidas around 200, uh, 200 euros a share, I think I think you might get a little bit of a dead cat bounce and do well on a shorter term mm-hmm. view. All right. Okay. Let's move on uh, to uh, questions on the local front. So Tiger Brands, looking at the Tiger Brands five-year chart, the share price has been on a downward spiral since 2018. How much of that sourness on the stock has been linked to the crises that have ensued from listeriosis to the coup canned food recall and this recent debacle with purity baby powder? Roy. Yeah, this is, this is one depressing story. I think analysts have criticized Tiger Brands for a long time for having low capex in its factories and not invested a lot okay the company vehemently denies this and has given lots of examples about innovation and everything but i guess your biggest problem is these things just keep happening from the time when you had the problem with vamp which was uh, value-added meat products and listeriosis Mm. to the recall last year and to this recall i mean when you read through the texts of all of those they say they're being cautious they're being pragmatic this is why they're doing the recall because they care about their customers but it doesn't happen to anybody else and that's a question that management needs to answer look the sell-off in the share price has been driven by a variety of things they've had management changes um food producers as a whole have sold off over this period of time but it's quite clear this is something that even they need to acknowledge they need to answer to why does it keep happening three times is um three times is enough huh? yeah three times is a lot yeah and that's the thing to roy's point i mean investors have really been making a case now for other good cheap looking food producers adding that this is not a risk inherent uh, in the nature of uh, the business i mean uh, on your side gary does this take away from tiger brands being a valuable stock and does it make a better case for um the other food uh, competitors I think so. What do they say? Once it's an accident, twice it's coincidence, three times you're starting to look like it's on purpose. So, um, 
yeah, looking looking at Tiger Brands, yeah, I agree with everything that, that Roy said. It, it, it's it's been a torrid time, but I think a lot of this has been you know can be kind of uh, put at management's uh, feet. It you know it is a difficult industry at the moment. Uh, you know you've got rising input costs. You know for the food producers at the same time you've got a consumer uh, that's that's wallet is fairly constrained. So um, you know they're kind of getting the margin squeeze on both sides. It, yet you look at something like AVI, who also reported recently as well, yeah. and I mean managing to protect margins. Um, you know get, get you know, and, and basically run a very, very efficient business. So um, you look at something like Libstar as well, also done very, very well over the period. So, yeah, I, you know, I think, I think uh, yeah, Tiger Brands is, is kind of almost uh, creating an environment where it is going to attract a lower a low multiple from investors. Mm. People aren't going to be prepared to pay up for the stock. We uh, have a few more questions. Um, so can, the, um, can you ask the panel what they think of uh, the Satrix all capped? Is it a buy or no for long term? Roy? Yeah, thanks for that. That, that, that. That's an interesting question. The thing is, I, I looked at its history, and in reality, it actually does what it says on the box. It's tracked the Aussie incredibly well with the rises and the falls, and you can see a little bit margin, maybe where it slightly outperforms. It basically represents the aggregate market. And if you think the market is cheap, and if you think over time equities in South Africa will will, will generally rise, then this is a this is a safe way to play the market. You don't have to worry about um, management fees. You don't have to worry about individual companies, individual stocks, and market volatility. You'll get exactly what it promises: the market return. So, from that perspective, I think the investor just has to be comfortable that despite how volatile things have been and the significant sell-off there is right now, that over time the markets should would recover. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is a good time to average in and start buying for, for the medium to longer term. Remember, it's not a short-term investment. Over the short term, volatility trumps valuation. Over the long term, valuation predominates. Mm. So really it depends on how you feel about uh, the all share and also maybe comparing it with the other stock markets. Let's go into um, another question. This one is on Renogen. Buy now or not? Is it now time? So um, this, of course, comes after uh, the Renogen switched on its Virginia plant this week and is now South Africa's first commercial liquid natural gas uh, producer. Gary? Time to go in, or was the time before this? <laughs> Certainly, the time was not uh, was before this, because the share <laughs> price appreciation has, has been absolutely spectacular uh, on Renogen over the last little bit. Uh, I mean, if you could have been buying, you could have bought, you know, yeah. even, even a year ago, you'd be you'd be up significantly at this point. I mean, you'd be up almost hundred percent. So, mm. um, looking at Renogen, you know the. There's big promises in the stock, and I mean, there's there's obviously the rumors going around that there could potentially be the Nasdaq listing coming as well. That could add an additional premium, open it up to new capital markets as well. And I think that uh, you know that is very very interesting. So so maybe maybe still worth buying, but but certainly a lot richer. And you do get the sense that it's uh, it's attracted popular interest as well. So that's kind of always a little bit of a flag for me for for diving into a stock. You kind of want one stocks that no one else knows about, and no one else is looking at, um, and Renogen certainly is very very popular. Popular among the, I suppose, the meme stock and the, the YOLO crowd. So yeah. I'd be a little bit, a little bit uh, circumspect. But like, I mean, all credit to the management team, and it, it is a great business. Uh, so you know, may, 
maybe just uh, <laughs> you know, it, it is it is quite speculative as well yes. at this stage of its development. So I think just 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 buy it with caution as well. I was actually looking at my easy equities. And uh, Redogen is one of the stocks there. And I think I bought it like a, f a few months ago, like earlier this year. And it's up like 18%. I mean, that seems little yeah. because Gary says if I'd bought it a year ago, it would be up like 100%. Yeah. So, but I mean, considering the fact that if you really believe in that story, there's still a lot mm -hmm. more upside speculative but if you believe in the story there's still more upside so do you think that even now considering where the company is planning to go it would still be a good time to go in now roy Matthew, I'll, I'll draw a parallel you remember when puro first listed and we all knew education is aspirational there's an infinite market to it and everything and it is true when you look at them here but what happened in in, in the interim they had to raise lots of capital. And these guys, for their helium business, they're going to come back to the market for rights issues. How many? Who knows? Mm -hmm. Will they get a big anchor investor? Who knows? So when you go into it now, it isn't so much about how much it's going to appreciate. It's also about how much capital will they need to actualize the ultimate dream which you're looking for. I don't uh, think anyone was looking at LNG to be the driver. I think LNG is a proof of concept. It was all about helium and the big promises that helium does. But to get to that helium production, the, uh, my gut feel, um, even speaking to them and other investors, is they will need to raise money. How dilutory will that be? Um, only they know. And I mean, even at this point in time, I don't even think they can put their fingers on exactly how much capital will be needed. So exactly like Gary says, um, it's very popular because of the big blue sky um, potential. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a, I've, I, sh I shudder to call it a mean stock, but in reality, that's what's what tends to happen when the when people love something like this and they talk about it, I think you'd be aware. Yeah. Um, I want to go into um, two unicorns of the JSC, and that's ShopRite and Capitec. I think we can all agree that these companies are both well positioned uh, within the market in terms of their customer base. I mean, they're constantly coming out with good results. But this week you mm -hmm. saw a fall in their share price. Uh, after they released those updates. So Capita came out with a trading update, ShopRite uh, results. Um, Gary, with ShopRite, what did you cling on to? Well, ShopRite, I suppose, you know, you've talked about the two unicorns, ShopRite and Capitec. I suppose they're, they're now technically competitors, aren't they? Um, Shop, <laughs> yeah. ShopRite's also launched a bank for, for, for the, the, the kind of low-income bank, which mm. I, I think is particularly interesting for the company, although I don't, it's obviously not a big money spinner at this stage. So, yeah. I mean, going, going through the ShopRite results, I, I was kind of very, very surprised at, at the market's reaction to it. And, and I mean, we actually, uh, following those results, have been topping up ShopRite in portfolios. It's our, it's our preferred uh, counter in, in local portfolios as as uh, certainly as a grocer um mm. you know there, there was just really nothing nothing wrong with the business that i could see i mean the it, it, it i mean growing revenue growing earnings doing yeah. everything right uh they, they the way that they operate as a business their distribution is absolutely seamless compared to some of the other the, the other uh, food retailers 
Um, and now obviously moving into banking, which I think just is, a, is an incredible value add. I mean, a free bank account uh, and, and already using that customer data, which is so key to ShopRite, just getting the right products on the right shelves at the right time um, without having to face kind of the challenges that, that Pick and Pay has faced for years, which is you know, not understanding the customer quite as well as ShopRite understands the customer. And then having to you know, almost transport, uh, almost use their retail spaces like quasi-warehousing because they're not sure you know, how much of, of each product they need. So, I mean... Yeah, Shoprite. Yes, it, it kind of fell this week, but but I saw absolutely nothing nothing wrong with that uh, with with their results. And yeah, and, uh, like I said, we're we're topping up portfolios. Um, Roy, I mean, what did you think of that reaction? And even if there was something that mm-hmm. bothered the markets within those results, I'm thinking then shouldn't markets be forward looking? Because with their mm-hmm. outlook, Shoprite is looking to do a lot in terms of physical expansion as well as digitalization and investment into the online um, grocery delivery service? I, th- I think this is a matter of perception. Um, so, so you get the headline that um, ShopRite or Capitec earnings disappointed expectations. I think the perspective is different. Mm. Expectations were pushed too high. And, and, and these guys delivered as they should have. But I think the market was expecting a whole lot more in different ways. Okay. And, and both of these companies come out and they explain their results and show just how exceptional they are and what plans they have for the future. And then the market now comes back in contact with reality. So to me, exa- I think Gary has it absolutely perfectly. If I'm looking at a retailer right now, there's nobody who knows their customer as well as these guys, their loyalty program is the best there possibly can be in that whole industry. I mean, you get cash back immediately. Mm. Um, their distribution is tight. Um, the expansion program is clear. And, and, they've, and, and they've, they've eliminated a lot of the problems they had historically. So in reality, the market had pushed it too far. Mm. Uh, now what you have is a, is a clear, real view of what's actually happening. Um, and, and from here on now, I guess expectations should be recalibrated to what is actually happening. Mm. So over-enthusiasm, I think, is what I would blame for for the sell-off in both of yeah. these stocks. I mean, Capitec, like I've told you before, I've never got right. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's very highly rated. Uh. The returns are incredibly high. Uh. But you come up with 20% and the market sells it off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, just with Capitec, before we go into your stock picks, uh, Gary, you mentioned that ShopRite and Capitec are now kind of competitors. Um, so how much more upside then do you see for Capitec share gains now that ShopRite is now turning its money market account into a fully-fledged bank account? Well, I think I've also always called Capitec wrong as well. I've always been a little bit more cautious uh, about Capitec uh, as as, a, as an investment option. Um, I think you know their customer base is maybe a little more fragile than you know the high net worth customer base. But yeah, I've been 100% wrong on that. I mean, the the stock the stock price appreciation has been absolutely spectacular. Yeah. Um, remember that the, the trading statement that we got out of Capitec this week was very very light on details. Yeah. So they said the headline earnings per share were going to be between 39 rand 64 cents and, and 40 rand 67 cents. So consensus expectations for about 88 rand for the full year because these are obviously the interim mm-hmm. results. Um, so I mean, if you just divide that by two, you can see it was it was a fairly it was a fairly decent miss on on what people were expecting. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know some like just looking at some of the big bank estimates on where they were they were looking for probably at least one to two, maybe sometimes three rand higher mm-hmm. in that number. And and obviously, like I said, no detail. And I think that the fear here is that in the inflationary environment that we're in, that their credit losses have increased dramatically. And, and we'll find out when the results come through. But um, I think people are very, very scared of what that loan book could potentially do 
do. And, and that's, that's a risk I don't know. It's one of the reasons I've always been a little bit more suspect of, of Capitec. Like that, that loan book, I mean, they, they tell us it's great quality and, and there's no issues yeah. there. But, you know, you just, it's only, you know, what, what is it? It's the Warren Buffett quote. You only find out who's not wearing the, yeah. the trunks when the, when the tide goes out. So <laughs> tide is certainly going out at the moment. So yeah. let's, let's hope that uh, Capitec is... Uh, not naked under there. All right, let's wait and see for uh, what the results come out with. Uh, on to your stock picks. Roy, what will it be tonight? So my pick today is Bidvest. Um, and and it's, when you look at this business, I guess it's got a reputation for being a representative of SA GDP and everything. But when you look down and under the hood and everything, what you have here is a management team that is executing brilliantly, that has substantial runway from recent acquisitions. They're not obsessed with making acquisitions. What they've done is they've created pillars which can grow themselves. It, it is very big in SA, mm. but they've now got a big footprint in the UK and a big footprint in Aus a reasonable footprint in Australia from which they can grow. And from a valuation perspective, it's at about an 11 and a half PE multiple. It's a premium to the rest of um, the, SA, the, the, the SA industrial sector. But I think for its gross prospects and its defensiveness, it actually deserves that. And I think the investor over time will be rewarded with mm. earnings growth in a reasonable dividend um, payout. Yeah. All right, Gary, 30 seconds. Stock pick. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually going to go with one of the, the unbundled PSG stocks. Uh, so I'm going to go with Carp Agri, which is, uh, I suppose it's not a, it's not a well-understood business, but uh, it's, you know, with, with obviously the PSG unbundling, a lot of new shares and a lot of uh, Carp Agri shares are popping into people's accounts and they're just selling out of them. Um, the stock is down around 20, I think it's 24% year to date. And, and that is incredibly cheap. So if you look, you know, like, I mean, obviously we've got uh, Anthony covering it for us, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, if we look one year out, so we're looking at a full year 2023, We've got it on a Ford P of 5.5 uh, 5 .5 times and a dividend yield of about six. Um, this is a company that's managed to you know, grow, grow earnings and revenue significantly over the, the last, say, 15 years. Um, and it's a very, very high quality stock that's maybe just a, a little bit uh, misunderstood. It's obviously operating in the agri space, which is a sector that we like as well. Mm. Uh, well run, very, very, very cheap uh, historically. And we understand why it's cheap. Everyone is selling it after the unbundling. So I think it's a great opportunity to, to actually do the reverse, mm -hmm. uh, pick up stock. And I think, uh, you know, if you look at Anthony's price target, he's looking for about uh, 64 rand a, a share. Mm. So that's, that's a decent price appreciation from its current uh, roughly 36 rand a share. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time today. That's it for Stockwatch this week. Thanks to my guests, Gary Boyson from Rand Swiss and Roy Motooni from APSA Asset Management. From Mizunati Kuma and the rest of the team, have a great weekend.